Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, a few days ago, my shaver was dropped on the floor and it stopped working. Now, I have no idea how a shaver works, how the insides work, so I broke it open to have a look. And I saw, what I saw impressed me. It impressed me with its simplicity, its complexity, its design. It's a simple little electronic Device. It was a cheap one, but it, it still had really, really neat, complex inner workings. And, and when I saw them, all these little electronic bits, I understood just a little bit more how amazing this little device really was. I'd been using it without knowing that, but now I appreciated it all the more. The doctrine of election is incredibly complex. And this canons adore painstakingly goes through the biblical data showing the glory of God's sovereign grace in all its details, and all its complexity. You don't have to understand it all at once. In fact, you can't. But the more you see of it, the more you understand of it, the more you are driven to cry out glory. Now today, four young people will stand before God and his people to profess their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why are they doing this? What brought them to this moment? Who brought them to this moment? Well, we read, didn't we, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. That's the gospel of sovereign election. We love him because he first loved us. That's true for all of us. And it's true for you, Craig and your niece and Daniel and Gavin. Before the universe existed, he knew you. He loved you in Christ. He chose you in Christ. And in time, he gave you faith and he united you to Christ and he, he brought you to this moment. Now, how does that all work? Well, the canons lay that out for us in the first four articles that come before the articles we're dealing with today. In the first article, the canons lay out the biblical truth that all man is condemnable before God, that all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death. And then in article two, the canons confesses the scriptural and glorious truth that the response of God to this is love. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then article three talks about how God brings that news to sinners. God sends preachers and God sends preaching because that is the ordinary and principal means which the Holy Spirit uses to reach dead sinners and transform them into living children 
of the living God. Now, in Article 4, the canons confess the scriptural truth that not everybody responds the same way to gospel preaching. Some people shut their ears to it. Their hearts remain hardened, and the wrath of God remains on them. But some believe, and some embrace the Lord Jesus with a true and living faith and are delivered from God's wrath and given eternal life. And so in Articles 5 and 6, which we're dealing with today, the canons are discussing and, and confessing the Scripture's teaching on why does this happen? Why do some people not believe? Why do some people believe? There are two groups. There's the group of unbelief. There's the group of faith. And the Bible teaches us that the unbelief is the default post-fall. It's who we are. It's what we do. We don't believe. We reject God. That comes naturally. We're all born that way with a heart disposed to say no to God. And wrath remains upon us as long as we do that. So unbelief comes naturally to us, but faith comes supernaturally. It is, the Bible says, a divine gift given to unworthy sinners. And you see that in chapter 2 of Ephesians. If you still have your Bible open, you'll see that chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. The gift of God to who? Well, look at chapter 2, verse 1. The gift of God to people who were dead in their trespasses and sins. Look at verse 3 people who were by nature children of wrath, living in the passions of our flesh. And look at verse 5 of chapter 2. People who were dead in our trespasses. A dead person can't choose for God. A dead person can't even want to choose for Christ. A dead person can't do anything. And we were dead in our sins. And to dead sinners, to unworthy sinners, God comes and gives the gift of life, of repentance, and of faith. So why are you here? There are so many other young people in the world around us who continue to wallow in sin. They're without God. They're without hope in the world. They're living out of the wrath of God and the threat of impending judgment and destruction. Why did God give you faith and others not? Are you better than other people? Are you more worthy? Are you just really smart, smarter than other sinners so that you decided to choose for Jesus? Are you just nicer people and better candidates to be Christians and children of God? Well, there's no explanation in humans. The explanation we have in Ephesians chapter 1, the explanation is in God. And in Ephesians chapter 1, the Holy Spirit lifts the veil between earth and heaven, between time and eternity, and he gives us a glimpse into the eternal decrees of God. And that glimpse is terrifying and beautiful at the same time. It's kind of like being on top of the tallest building in the world, outside on the roof, 
an amazing view, but a rather frightening experience at the same time. Now, we sang Psalm 33 verse 4 just before the sermon. The Lord looks down upon the earth. He, he observes. He knows the nations. He molds their hearts. God doesn't know like we know. God doesn't wait to see, to learn, to react. God knows all from eternity. And for us, eternity is, is in the past. It's before the creation of the heavens and the earth. But God lives in one continuous, eternal present. He sees all of time before him at the same time. At every moment, he sees it all. He knows it all. And before the world was created, God saw the mass of fallen humanity. And God saw the great numbers of sinners who would reject the Christ. And God decreed, as we read in Article 6, God decreed that he would leave them in their own wickedness and hardness of heart by a just judgment. Scripture says, 1 Peter 2, Scripture says they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But God also saw you in all your unworthiness. He saw you dead in your trespasses and sins. And before the foundation of the world, he blessed you in Christ. He chose you in Christ. He predestined you in Christ to adopt you to himself as children through Christ Jesus and to lavish upon you the riches of his grace in Christ. And what he decreed in eternity, he made it happen in time. And so he set you in a family of believers. He set the sign and seal of his covenant love upon your forehead and he promised you himself and he gave you parents who, who brought you up in the fear of the Lord. And he gave you godly friends and godly teachers. And he spoke to you in the preaching of the teaching of his word. And according to his decision, which he made before the universe existed, his spirit worked a response of faith in your heart. And he softened your heart. And he gave you the gift of faith. So that you could embrace his gift of love, his gift of life, his gift of forgiveness, his gift of himself. And in all of this, everything that God has done for you and to you from eternity and in time, he worked all things according to the counsel of his will. That's what the Bible teaches us. So how are we to respond? The first response should be humility. Why me, Lord? I'm just as much a sinner as anybody else. Why did you choose to love me? Who am I? A true Christian is a humble Christian. Who am I? I know unbelievers that are a lot nicer than I am sometimes. Who am I that God would set his love upon me? And the second reaction is worship. Did you notice as we read through the chapter how much as, as Paul goes through the details of the glorious doctrine of election, how much he just bursts out into praise. Look at verse 6. If you still get your Bible open, 
Look at verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace. Look at verse 12. To the praise of his glory. Look at verse 14. To the praise of his glory. When we have the black box of election broken open a little bit and, and we get to see a few of the complex details, it incites us to wonder and to praise, to glory in our sovereign, electing, loving, forgiving, saving God. And then finally, knowing and understanding the doctrine of election gives us immense comfort. And it's immense comfort for you Four young people, you're going to face a lot of stuff in the next years as you continue to live your lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. You're taking up your cross. You're denying yourselves. You're following him. And it is a path of self-sacrifice, of denial, of suffering to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And there will be times when you're going to wonder, is it worth it? And there are going to be times when it's hard to keep going. And the comfort of the doctrine of election is this, that God, has begun this good work in you, and he will bring it to completion. Your profession today is the culmination of the working of God from eternity. Throughout the whole history of the world, he brought things to this moment, to this place, to this event. And he began that work in you. He will bring it to completion. It depends on him. It doesn't depend on you. So hold on to that. Hold on to Christ. Hold on to the one of whom you confess that he is your only comfort in life and death, that you're not your own, but that you belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. That is your confession, that you're standing up to proclaim to the church and to the world today before God. That's your confession. And to that confession, the Lord Jesus says, Amen. Let me show you how true that is. Come to the table, sit, eat, drink, remember, and believe. Amen.